Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. This is how to get started, how to get better, and how to front run the opportunity. This is Ryan Sean Adams. I'm here with David Hoffman, and we're here to help you become more bankless. Guys, we have a fantastic episode for you today. We're talking about crypto in Washington, D.C., how we win over Washington, D.C. for crypto. And we're talking with a sitting Congress representative today. We're going to go through five things. Number one, why Congress doesn't actually hate crypto. Number two, what's at stake if America gets crypto policy wrong? Number three, the answer to all of the shadowy super regulators we see, turns out it's legislation. Number four, why the digital currency path China is taking is totally wrong for the US. Number five, how we win over DC as a crypto community. David, Fantastic discussion with Representative Emmer today. What were some of your thoughts? Representative Emmer is definitely one of those representatives who has no problem updating how he thinks about the world as new technology comes into it. And there's a, a line that I've seen pro-crypto versus anti-crypto representatives. The pro-crypto representatives tend to be really like first principles, deep philosophical thinkers and really ground their positions in some sort of, you know, um, idea about the world that goes down to seemingly the roots in contrast to the anti-crypto regulators out there that kind of just don't really seem to have a coherent stream of it's very ideas. It's very Yeah, just like kind of taking issue by issue without having some sort of core fundamental principles that guides them through that. And, and Tom Emmer is definitely somebody that thinks in the big picture and is able to zoom all the way out and place crypto in its moment in history and how the United States as a nation can engage with this new technology in its holistic fashion rather than just like what it is currently, which is, you know, perhaps not the version of crypto that we want to see in the distant future. So I definitely appreciate Tom Emmer for that. He is well-respected in Congress for advocating for crypto and also has a, a pretty optimistic outlook for how crypto will come to be a part of the governance conversations for the United States. He thinks that crypto is better received than I initially thought. This was a fantastic conversation. The fact that we're getting sitting members of Congress on crypto podcasts like Bankless, you know, that couldn't have happened three to four years ago. And that is happening now. So that shows you kind of the growing influence. Representative Emmer also talked about the actions that the Bankless community took, the crypto community took in August that actually had a massive impact. We didn't see the impact that it had, but Representative Emmer talks about that. If you're based in the U.S., this is a must-listen episode. If you're not based in the U.S., this is also a must-listen episode because this same conversation is happening in all of your governance bodies in all of your respective countries. So this is sort of a microcosm of the conversations that are going on all over the world right now. Fantastic episode. As usual, David and I will give our thoughts on the episode in the post-episode debrief, which is available to you if you are a premium subscriber. Talk about some behind-the-scenes stuff. It'll be a lot of fun. Guys, we're going to get into the episode in just a minute, but before we do, we want to tell you about these awesome tools for going bankless from our fantastic sponsors. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that's going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. Over 250 projects have already deployed on Arbitrum, and Arbitrum's DeFi and NFT ecosystems are growing rapidly. Arbitrum increases Ethereum speed by orders of magnitude for a fraction of the cost of the average gas fee. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of decentralization and security. If you're a developer who wants low gas fees and instant transactions for your users, as well as EVM compatibility when developing, visit develop 
developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building your application on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps or NFT projects building on Arbitrum. Many of your favorite apps are already live, with many more coming over soon. You can find these apps at portal.arbitrum.one, and you can bridge your assets over to Arbitrum using bridge.arbitrum.io in order to experience DeFi and NFTs the way it was always meant to be, fast, cheap, and friction-free. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure you're getting the best possible price on your trade. And that's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your trade across all the various liquidity sources in Ethereum and is also operational on Polygon, Avalanche, Binance Smart Chain, and other chains. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pools the liquidity for me in a single easy to use platform and allows me to make limit on-chain orders so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. So when you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Slingshot is a decentralized trading platform that combines the performance and ease of a centralized exchange with the openness and transparency of DeFi, creating the world's most powerful trading platform. Slingshot aggregates liquidity from all of DeFi in order to find the best price on thousands of crypto assets. Every token on Slingshot comes with a price chart and trade logs to give you insights into the market's activity in real time. Slingshot is available on Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism, saving you from the high gas fees and low transaction speeds of the Ethereum L1. There are no fees to trade on Slingshot and any positive slippage is given to the users. Trading on Slingshot is a social experience. Chat with others online about trading, markets, and tokens via the platform's built-in global chat box featuring Web3 sign-in. You can even set your chat avatar to your favorite NFT or soon a Slingshot 2099 NFT avatar. Once you bridge your assets to Polygon, Arbitrum, or Optimism, go to app.slingshot.finance to trade and use the chat box to share your trades with others and find other tokens to ape into. Bankless Nation, we are super excited to introduce you to Representative Tom Emmer. He's a fourth-term member of the House. He represents Minnesota, serves on the House Financial Services Committee, believes that free financial access is a core human right, and advocates for crypto in Congress as a result of that. I think we've got some shared interests, some shared values to talk about. Representative Emmer, welcome to Bankless. How are you doing today? Good morning, Ryan, David. Great to be with you uh, and love the introduction. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Well, we love what you're doing in Congress right now for crypto. And I want to start with this question, just to dive right into it. It feels like almost no one in D.C. is fighting for crypto right now. But you are. Why? Why are you sticking your neck out for us? Well, I, because I know this is the future. And uh, you know what? I seem to believe in this concept that our founders had, that government exists to serve its people. The people don't exist to serve their government. And, and crypto to me, I, first off, I, to put in context, because we were joking about the fact that my uh, pop culture references are probably dated before maybe even you guys were alive, right? Well, you <laughs> are coming in black and white too, Representative Emmer, so it, it fits. <laughs> it, it's all part of the, uh, all part of the, the conspiracy. It, when it comes down to me, I've got seven kids, which... Uh, you know, the oldest is uh, 31, youngest is uh, 20, uh, about to be 21. These guys have kept me very well grounded, despite the fact that I really like my uh, childhood. I like my formative years. But what I learned from those, and I should also tell you, while I spent some time out east, I actually graduated from the Harvard of the Northwest, the University of Alaska, 
in Fairbanks, Alaska, which gave me an opportunity uh, for a period of time to literally live in the woods in a cabin with no running water and you know outdoor plumbing and wood heat. And why is that important? Because I guess I learned that I'm responsible for me and I don't want the government making my decisions. I'm capable of making really good decisions. I'm capable of making really bad decisions, right? And I've done both. But I don't need my government telling me. And when I got into crypto uh, probably seven years ago now, and I've told this story way too many times, but we had a staffer here who's now over on the Senate Banking Committee, awesome guy, Landon Zinda. We now have Lizzie that you guys have probably uh, dealt with. Uh, she worked directly with Landon, but he gave me this book about seven years ago called The Age of Cryptocurrency. And I I don't know how many of my colleagues, when a member of their staff gives them a book, they literally take it and read it and bring it back. But that's what I do. And I loved it. It's like, look, this is an opportunity. I see this is where it's going. You know, I had done this radio show with a guy who claimed he was a libertarian. In fact, he's an anarchist, right? All we ever heard during the show was shut her down. She's pumping mud. You know, we don't need this. We don't need that. Uh, at the end of the day, he caused me to look at our society and government in more of a holistic nature. While we have come through our world's history, from the Stone Age to the Agrarian Age to the Industrial Age, and now we're in the, the uh, age of technology, right, which is advancing in warp speeds. Think about this for a second. The Stone Age, you were scattered. The Agrarian Age, and I'm short-circuiting it, obviously, for the... Uh, <laughs> for the students that are out there. It's more detailed than this, but for a very crude explanation, you've got the agrarian age where suddenly we have cities, dense populations forming on essentially waterways because you bring the produce in from the field and you deliver it by water. But that's how our cities started. Then you have the industrial age. Now you've got all the labor moving into these big cities. Everything is centralized. Guess what you guys are doing? We are in the era of not only technology, but decentralization. There is coming a day when, uh, you know, the uh, family that's lived on the uh, family farm, the land grant farm, whatever you want to call it, they have certificates from presidents like Abraham Lincoln. They will stay on the home place, as they call it, because everything will have smart technology. They will have a 3D printer. So if they need uh, healthcare treatment, for instance, and this may be bizarre to people outside of this podcast, but I'm going to believe the people that listen to Bankless, Ryan, they know this is coming. Let's say I need a new hip. Well, guess what? With the technology that we're going to have, as long as government doesn't get in the way and allow different actors to fence out competition and protect their bottom line, if government will allow this to grow, you're going to be able to have that hip transplant right at home because they'll print up the parts, for lack of a better description, the replacement parts on a 3D printer. You'll have robotics and you can have a surgeon who is remotely conducting this uh, hip replacement from uh, somewhere else. It, that's the future. And when you look at crypto, taking it full circle now to your question, why crypto? This is facilitating all of that. I mean, uh, you've got Web 2, which requires intermediaries. Everything throughout history has required an intermediary, at least uh, when we talk about our traditional banking system. There, there was a day when, you know, you'd work on my barn and I'd give you a cow, right? And that we just dealt direct. 
But now we have intermediaries and we're in this technology phase where you want to get your social content out there. You got to go through Facebook. You got to go through YouTube. You got to go through Twitter. There's coming a day when you don't need intermediaries. It will be decentralized. And I'm going to tell both of you with that long explanation, that's what excites me is that takes the authority away from the middleman and it puts the power where it should have been put, well, where our founders put it in the first place, in you and me. That's why it excites me. And crypto, again, is facilitating that development, that evolution, if you will. Representative Emmer, I see a difference in a lot of pro-crypto and anti-crypto politicians, where the pro-crypto politicians tend to be like, Big picture thinkers and more grounded in first principles thinking where the anti-crypto politicians, I don't really share that same type of let's like mental thinking of just zooming all the way out and trying to put this industry in perspective. So I certainly appreciate your ability to see this thing from the lens that it needs to be seen, which is a super, super wide view. So I want to get into the schism that we see growing in D.C., because there does seem to be people like kind of picking sides. Are you pro-crypto or are you anti-crypto? And there's definitely seems to be a lot of anti-crypto people showing up in D.C. And so I want to just pick your brain as to why do you think that is? Like, why does it feel like Washington hates crypto? You know, I guess I don't have the same feeling, David. I understand where that comes from. But to me here inside of this uh, swamp, I think that it's a nonpartisan issue for people who literally understand it. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican. What I just talked about, I think you have people on both sides of the aisle in different, I, I used this term yesterday. I said, we have uh, members all across the spectrum. And I said, oh, that might be a, uh, a Freudian slip. I don't think I want to use the spectrum term. But <laughs> we have members who have different understandings of crypto and it's growing. So if you feel, and again, and this is not limited to you because I've heard it from others. If you feel that there's an anti-crypto uh, sentiment uh, and that people are picking teams, I don't want to go there yet because I don't think that's uh, baked in. I think what you're really seeing, if you put in perspective that long answer that I gave you earlier, it really is the pro-government, anti-government split. Mm. I mean, if you were going to talk about Republican and Democrat in its most pure form, and by the way, this has changed through time. Each party has been on different sides of this. And I think we're in the uh, process of another evolution of uh, how the Republicans are going to be in terms of policy versus the Dems. But as I gotten involved, a Democrat would typically believe that government should provide the best solutions to our problems. A Republican, in the truest sense of the word, again, in my world, would say that, no, the individual provides the best solutions available. The truth is the answer lies somewhere in between, right? At least in our history, it's people working with government. And I think what you've got here, you've got what you would refer to as the pro-crypto people, myself, looking at this thing and saying, I'm pro-people. I'm pro-people self-determining. You know, this debate about the size and scope of our government versus the right of an individual to self-determine, as you can tell, I always default to the individual. And you left something out earlier, at least that I would add, which is uh, fear. There are people that are afraid of things that could happen. And I think that drives them with their policymaking, too, if they don't understand crypto. So I'm pro-crypto because I see this is where the financial system is going. It's completely disruptive. 
people are going to be able to do business directly with one another for full value without having our government skim off the top and those type and others, by the way. Then there are those that, and again, Republicans, Democrats, that are coming our direction. They just don't understand it yet, David. I mean, I'm going to tell you a lot of these people, their first real involvement came last August when the Senate had this so-called bipartisan infrastructure bill that the Treasury Secretary, I'm told, lobbied Senator Portman from Ohio to include a tax provision that would apply to miners, right? Crypto miners, Bitcoin miners, et cetera. Uh, well, the thing was drafted poorly. It cast a net so wide that uh, you don't know how it can be applied. Uh, by the way, the number that they came up with, some genius in the uh, government accounting office, uh, they came up with a number that, oh, we're going to get X amount of revenue from all these people. That should scare everybody. But this is what drove it. And I tell you that background because what happened next is those interested and involved in the crypto committee rained down on Washington, D.C. like they never have in the seven years that I've been here. There were reports of one Senate office getting 30,000 calls in one day. And what that did is, one, you've got government policymakers Again, I don't want to get into the partisan fight, but it really is this hungry government looking for revenue so they can spend more and more money. And suddenly they've seen there's money in crypto. <laughs> we want some of that money. You know, the man wants a little bit off the top to fund everything the man wants to fund. That was the first thing. The second thing was, oh my goodness. All these people are involved? I had no idea. I better learn this thing. I better understand it. We got years of education in a matter of two or three months. And I, I think those people haven't made up their mind yet. Which side of this are they on? And then to conclude, David, yes, you do have a small group. I'm not going to name names. People watch them. They look incredibly foolish and ignorant when they talk during hearings about things that make absolutely no sense in the crypto space. And someday, you know, those will be the ones that people say, hey, remember when you said the world was flat <laughs> and that if Columbus actually went off on this journey that uh, it was going to end badly? <laughs> well, welcome to the 21st century. People saying that the internet will never work, will never amount to anything is another equivalency in sticking to their fax machines. But what's really cool, Representative Emmer, is because I think what you're referring to was um, happened with the infrastructure bill and kind of the push and the outcry from the crypto community. And I've actually never heard it described that way from someone inside of DC, okay? So here we are at Bankless and we've got like an entire crypto community who is passionate. Some of these people are single issue voters, right? And we, you know, we told them, many in the crypto community told them, call your representatives, make your voices heard. It sounds like that shook Washington a bit. Like, we don't know if some of these messages are going out into the void and like disappearing or they're actually having an effect. It sounds like they're having an effect in this case, which is amazing. The other thing I just learned is from your perspective, it's not that there are a lot of, you know, crypto haters in Washington. There are some, but there is a vast majority of representatives in Congress who are undecided. And it's this middle area that we can really target. But I want you to maybe, um, I guess, make the case for us a little bit more. The national case, America's case. 
So I want to talk about two things. First of all, what's at stake if America gets this wrong? If we screw up crypto, let's talk about the costs first, and then we'll switch and we'll talk about the benefits. But what's at stake here? Well, a lot of people, and this, you know, some of your listeners, by the way, you did make a difference. Uh, so just know that the messages you guys were sending out on your podcast, uh, your peers, uh, you made a huge difference because lobbying, which has a terrible name here in Washington, D.C., can be done through paid representatives who are very good at it. And no, Congress is not bought off by them. They are a resource teaching members what they may not understand and trying to educate them from a certain point of view so we can make a thoughtful decision. But then there's also the citizen lobbyist. And what you guys did is you activated those citizen lobbyists uh, like I haven't seen in seven years since I've been here. So you should pat yourselves on the back. Everybody in the community should recognize that they made a huge difference, but their work has just begun. What is at stake? Well, this is the part that I don't want to be partisan. For me, it's U.S. supremacy as the leader around the world on a lot of different things. But if you want to strip that away, if you're one of those people that has grown up in a different era than I did, right? I had coaches who yelled at me. I had coaches who shamed me. I, you know, today, you, you wouldn't have a coach behind a bench anywhere if they did that to a young person the way we had. So maybe you grew up saying, hey, it's not about U.S. being the uh, supreme whatever. It's about the United States doing the right thing and being able to compete the world over, making sure that the members of our society, people who uh, are lucky enough to be Americans or to come to this country and experience this great experiment in freedom, that they be afforded the opportunity to create and grow anew. I mean, right now, the big fight is, do we really want to be like the Communist Party of China, right? Do we really want to allow government officials in this country, whether they're at the Treasury, whether they're at the Fed, whether it's a combination of those uh, agencies in the defense community, right? The defense community who they're so scared of everything that's out there that we have to give up our liberty so they can protect us. I said it yesterday to somebody, and I've said it for years, you can become a prisoner of your own security. Uh, we need to take control of this. Uh, Ryan, what's at stake? Your opportunity to, uh, and people are going to think this is overly dramatic, but it's not. If you let the Fed and the Treasury do what I suspect that they have set off to do, regardless of what their words are saying, because this thing is already in motion, if they create a central bank digital currency that is nothing more than a surveillance tool for Americans, much like the digital authoritarianism that's being practiced in China, we are going to lose not only potentially the dollar as the uh, world's reserve currency, but more importantly, we're going to lose what really makes this country special, which is a place where, you know, you and me, I used to tell people where a dumb schlub like me can come up with this great idea, uh, this business plan, and go see my local community banker in the tiny little town that I live in and go, I got this great idea for a thing that I want to call Amazon. I got a great idea for something I want to call Harley Davidson or I want to call uh, uh, Walt Disney. By the way, all those companies started in someone's garage. That, Brian, is what I think we're risking the loss of because if people struggle with the concept that special interests, right, pay public relations people, aka lobbyists to influence Congress, 
How are you going to feel when we don't need those anymore because the government knows exactly who you are, what you're doing every day because they can monitor your transactions, they can monitor where you're traveling. And by the way, if you have some new disruptive change, well, it's one thing to be fighting with Bill Gates for market share, right? He's got all the money, but you still have the citizen lobbyists that can fight back. Uh, what happens when it's the government that is all powerful and they're the ones that are protecting their own market share? That's what's at stake to me. Representative Emmer, I want to take a devil's advocate stance here and put myself in the shoes of somebody like Elizabeth Warren, for example, because you listed off you know, some companies that perhaps started in their garage and started building really, really cool things. But the difference is, is those companies like Apple or Google that started off in their garage has much less of a capacity to do harm in the way that we've seen inside of the crypto industry. For example, like, you know, we just had a $320 million exploit that somebody stole, you know, $320 million of funds from this one thing in the crypto space. We also recently have seen an ex-felon be a treasury manager in the DeFi space who is completely anonymous. And then there's also Tether, which is, you know, dubiously unknown to be backed. And there's also USDC, which has just much less regulations than a typical bank. So like, I wanted to ask the devil's advocate question about like, all right, well, like, what about all of the scams? Like, what about all of the craziness that's going on? How do you square that with representing that side of the industry? Well, David, I would say first off, the uh, wild, wild west that people want to claim crypto is, this isn't... Uh, <laughs> This isn't crypto from 15 years ago. This isn't crypto from 10 years ago. It's not crypto from five years ago. You've mentioned some bad actors. And by the way, I don't care if it's the crypto space or it's your, uh, your local church or fraternal organization. You know what? There's creeps and crooks everywhere. And does that mean that everyone you should assume is up to no good? No. No, but that is the place for government, right? If there is a place, but we can overthink this right? Like I had a colleague at our leadership meetings a couple of weeks ago suggest that the colonial pipeline hostage situation where they paid the ransom in crypto, right? He suggested that we only got some of that back. No, we got all of it back. I mean, we have the ability and we should empower law enforcement to do what they need to do to enforce laws where one individual or one entity is literally scamming or taking advantage of another or others, right? We should also have what I would argue is light touch regulation in the crypto space. I think these sandboxes are the way to go with safe harbors, right? Until you know what you're dealing with, don't start regulating before you know what you're trying to regulate or the problem that you're trying to resolve you might need to learn a little bit more on the go and then create guardrails as you see them. And then to the Elizabeth Warren thing, you know, the place where, uh, and I, I'm amazed that I'd say this, I, I don't know that we'd agree. Uh, by the way, I love our friend from Tesla, his uh, back and forth with the good senator. Uh, that was really entertaining. I won't repeat it here, but it was fun to watch on Twitter. We'll include a link in the show notes. Elon Musk is uh, He's got a sense of humor, man, uh, and it's a good one. But uh, where we might agree, the senator from Massachusetts and myself, is we have antitrust laws for a reason. And really, I just don't know. We've got a, uh, a Department of Justice that just seems to be so out of touch with Main Street USA. Instead of behaving like a political entity that does 
the Republicans bidding when they're in office and does the Democrats bidding uh, when they're in office, you know, their agendas. Why don't you start doing stuff for the American people? You know, when you've got companies that have gotten so large that they literally are killing competition in the marketplace, that's what we had antitrust for, right? That's that's the idea is uh, you got to let uh, everybody participate. And I think the senator from Massachusetts and I might agree on that. Last thing, David, I think you got to have a complete rewrite of the banking laws in this country. This is not the 1930s. We do not have the same challenges. And you bring up a company like Tether, which unfortunately, you know, there are issues, but you can solve an issue with Tether by requiring reserves and specifying what is a valuable and reliable reserve and what do you have to put up behind whatever it is you're offering so that a person that is trusting you actually knows that there's something backing up that investment. So there are things we can do, but here's when you play devil's advocate, I love it because in our committee, you know, we've got, these guys aren't as detailed as you, you know, they want to talk about climate change. They want to talk about, you know, everybody's dirty. This is Silk Road. I mean, they're reading off a playbook from like 2012, 2014. It just, come on. Uh, by the way, you want to talk to uh, drug dealers and those doing illicit activities in this country? I'm going to guarantee you they're going to tell you cash is still king. Crypto, I would argue, is not the preferred venue or uh, medium of exchange. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a middle area that really needs to be educated. You know, you were talking about the colonial pipeline incident in the ransomware. People look at that and they say, oh, isn't crypto bad? But it's like that also happened on another set of protocols called the Internet. Should we turn off the internet because there's a ransomware attack on the internet? No, of course not. It provides so much more utility than just these things. And I think that will become more obvious in time as crypto builds and continues to provide utility for its citizens. But let's flip this and talk about the good side, okay? So we talked about what's at stake if America gets this wrong, but there's also an opportunity for crypto here. This is what we see at Bankless, and I think, Representative Emmer, what you see. You see tremendous opportunity for America to lead. What are the benefits if America gets policy right on crypto? Well, just to ask yourself, using your example, and I love it, the internet, yeah. You know, someday the internet might amount to something, right? <laughs> it's that old argument. And you're right, it's causing all kinds of problems. We better turn it off. Uh, you're never gonna turn it off. It's gonna continue to grow. So when I answer this question, you should ask yourself, what would have happened if we didn't allow the internet to develop here in the United States? What if we uh, said, oh, we're scared of this. This is, uh, this is where all the bad actors are. This is going to corrupt our children. This is, this is going to be awful. I mean, think about all the bullying that can take place on social media sites and just uh, terrible things. Uh, well, what if China would have been the leader? How different would it look today? And what would that mean to economic growth, safety and security, our future here in this country? I would say the same thing here. I mean, do you really want to say, because I used to say this long before there was crypto, money will always go to the place where it can thrive. So if you're going to put a, a roadblock in front of it, guess what? Like water, it's going to find its way somewhere else to where it can actually move. Okay, so you think the Bahamas uh, should be the ground zero for crypto development and evolution and growth or the United States of America? Do you think Europe should be? 
or the United States of America. More importantly, you think China should be. I think China's made a serious mistake, gentlemen. I mean, by uh, uh, shutting down mining, which uh, <laughs> I love when uh, Lizzie and I talked about this a few weeks ago, she was helping me with some talking points. And she said, yeah, they've lost 60% of their mining. And Texas has gotten all 60%, 100% of the 60 that China has driven away. And I, I said to Lizzie, yeah, but they shut it down. So it's 100%. And you're just telling me 60. And she just smiled and said, you can't shut it all down. <laughs> I mean, you can't. This thing is going to continue. And it's going to continue somewhere. So why not here in this country? Because think about what it will mean to our safety and security. I know the traditional defense hawks, you know, it's like they have to have all the control. You know what happens with decentralization? I can protect myself. You decentralize, you put me back in charge of my health records. You put me back in charge of my bank accounts. You put me back in charge of who I'm dealing with as opposed to a middleman right now when I do business with a bank. And all of a sudden I'm getting all kinds of solicitations from somebody that the bank has sold its list to or is doing business with because I unwittingly somehow without knowing gave them consent to share my information all over the place, which by the way has value. And I'm not the one that's getting the value. Somebody else is getting it. And I know I'm rambling off, but it's, uh, I, I just tell you, this is so much bigger than crypto, but crypto is the, it is the basic building block for making this whole evolution happen, which is why I'm going to continue to advocate for it and support it. I'm going to continue to push back on these ideas. Most uh, recent one is, well, how do we do economic sanctions? Well, figure it out. Right. I mean, what I got to stay uh, riding in a train when I could be taking a plane or for you guys, because you're much younger than me, a rocket ship. Right. You guys are going to space. I was just trying to get from here to Chicago. But uh, you get what I'm saying. I, I think it has to be in this country. And we're falling behind right now. I mean, my LinkedIn was talking about how a Canadian firm has uh, just put on their balance sheet different crypto offerings. And it's like, Come on, man, that should be happening right here in this country. Absolutely. A lot. Completely agree. We're falling behind. There's an exodus of crypto builders leaving the U.S. Lots more we could talk about, but the opportunity to miss is of the size and magnitude, maybe larger than the internet. But let's talk about the solution here a little bit. So I want to talk about um, legislative solution and three branches of government and executive. We'll ignore judicial, right? So, um, but legislative and executive branch. So on the legislative side, we've had a number of regulators on, or I would say crypto-friendly regulators. You know, Brian Quintens from the CFTC, Hester Peirce from the SEC, and they kind of tell us the same thing, Representative Emmer, which is, Regulations could be improved. There could be better posturing on the regulatory front, more friendliness towards crypto. But part of the root problem is we have old laws, orange groves from like the 1940s uh, for our, you know, SEC, our securities laws. So do you agree with that? Do you think that they point to legislation? They point to changes in the legal system as the answer. Do you believe that the change has to come from the legislative side, that Congress ultimately has to act? That's the real solution here? The Gemini Exchange has been my exchange of choice ever since I got into crypto. I use Gemini to both buy the dips and also manage my regular automatic monthly purchases of my preferred crypto asset. On Gemini, you'll find over 50 different cryptos, including many of the top DeFi and metaverse tokens like YFI and Axie Infinity. 
Using Gemini Earn, you can earn yield on your various cryptos, including 8% on the GAUSD stablecoin. Using the Gemini credit card, you can earn crypto rewards on every purchase you make, and your crypto rewards immediately lands in your Gemini account the instant you swipe your Gemini credit card. Gemini is available in all 50 states and more than 50 countries worldwide. So if you're looking to upgrade your crypto exchange, sign up at Gemini with Gemini.com slash GoBankless and get $15 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within the first 30 days. That's Gemini.com slash GoBankless. The Brave browser is the user-first browser for the Web3 internet with built-in privacy and ad blocking to keep you in charge of your digital footprint. And inside the Brave browser, you'll find the Brave Wallet, the first secure crypto wallet built natively inside of a Web3 crypto browser. What's Web3? Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy. But there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. The Brave Wallet is different. Brave Wallet is built natively inside the Brave browser, no extension required, which gives the Brave Wallet an extra level of security versus other wallets. With the Brave Wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap your crypto assets, and you can even manage your NFTs and connect to other wallets and DeFi apps, all from the security of the best privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to ditch those risky extensions. It's time to switch to the Brave Wallet. Download Brave at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. Bankless is proud to be sponsored by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum that lets you trade any token at the current market price. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. The Uniswap Grants program is accepting applications for grants. Do you have something of value that you think you want to contribute to the Uniswap ecosystem? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a unique grant at uniswapgrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Yeah, I do, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. By the way, there were great champions, as you point out, in the last administration, but I would argue they were up against many of the same things that I suspect the champions that I have yet to know in the Biden administration are up against, right? The traditionalists that, uh, oh, you can't do that here, right? Uh, you you mentioned uh, Hester, you had Brian Brooks. I think you might've mentioned Giancarlo. I think some of those same people are in the current administration, but they're getting overwhelmed by those traditionalists that are really invested into how our financial system has grown and developed. And this, as you guys would admit, is the most disruptive change that could take place, right? where I don't necessarily need an intermediary, a bank, to do business with you, right? Uh, financial business with you. Now that scares them. And what I keep saying out loud before I get to your question is, we need to talk about how we, well, it's gonna answer your question. So we got people like Gary Gensler out there who uh, my mother used to say, you're too smart to be so stupid. I would say that to Gary Gensler, you're too smart to be so stupid. He is literally impacting the marketplace through his public comments, misguided public comments, and through enforcement actions. That's why the answer to your question is, yes, we're going to need to legislate. Congress, legislative branch of government, is actually going to have to do something in this area to rein in these regulators, all right? Because if we don't, and I would argue that Congress has done very little that it's supposed to do since 1998. 
That's why everybody's so frustrated. I mean, we haven't done a budget, 12 appropriations bills through the House, through the Senate, and across the president's desk on or before September 30th of each year, midnight September 30th, since 1998. What does that do? Well, that tells all of these bureaucrats that nobody's going to be supervising. Hmm. Okay, so they come before a committee and they think their job today, unlike it was in the 80s, the 70s, they think their job today is to be as vague and evasive as possible because they're the king or queen of their little fiefdom and they're going to run it just how they want. So, yes, we are going to have to take back the authority and that means we're going to have to do something. What do we need to do? Just very simple things to start. I mean, let's talk about money transmitter licenses, right? Why don't we have a federal law for money transmission and money transmitters? So you only, if you're in that business, right? And by the way, we need to further define it because some never possess <laughs> any uh, actual currency, if you will. So how do they fall within that definition? We need better definitions. I better back up before I say the money transmission. You've got to better define what is a currency, what is a commodity, and what is a security. So we can get away from this idea that the crypto space should be a full employment opportunity for lawyers in this country, okay? Because why is the Howey test that you referenced uh, from the Orange Grove in Florida, why is that important? Because the court has said that test, which was created before anybody even knew what crypto was, that test is what we use now to determine whether something is a security or not. And if it is, then it's subject to all of the uh, SEC regulations, et cetera. We're going to have to uh, we're going to have to change that because you're losing opportunities. I, there's a guy who started a one point four billion dollar project outside of this country more than a year ago who looked right at me and said, I'd love to do this in the United States, but there's too much uncertainty. If I start it, I don't know if I'm going to have the smorgasbord of regulators that are all going to want a piece of it. I'm going to be spending way too much money trying to get things clarified so he did it elsewhere. you got to clean that up, and Congress is going to have to do it. Uh, light touch stuff. You can, uh, Where we should preempt state law so we have a one-stop shop, we should do it. I use the example of money transmitter licenses. We should create safe harbor, right, where... People that haven't done something before that's brand new have the ability to do it. And as it evolves and we understand what it is, then we can define what a set of regulations apply. Same thing with the IRS. We should have a situation where there's no look back. <laughs> you get to start your opportunity. And once we realize it should be taxed as currency, it should be taxed as a, an asset, a commodity, or, or something else under the securities provision then we would tax it going forward. But that's a very broad stroke, Ryan. The answer to your question is Congress is literally going to have to do its job. And I, I'm hopeful that uh, in the 117th Congress, that there's going to be a, an appetite to get that started. And Representative Emmer, you actually have a proposal out, uh, I believe called the Securities Clarity Act, that can help kind of progress this conversation forward. Can you just elaborate for our listeners what is inside the Securities Clarities Act and what it's attempting to fix? Well, this is kind of what I was referring to, uh, you know, with innovators uh, leaving this country, right? The bill would amend the existing securities law, David, to distinguish a token from the securities contract that it might have or might not have been part of at one point, right, at the beginning. It does this by creating a new definition in the law. It's very simple. The uh, language is an investment contract asset. 
tokens are investment contract assets. So we did this because, as I referenced, the SEC has been regulating by enforcement action. And because you never know if you're going to be subject to the next enforcement action, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs are taking those opportunities, those projects outside of the country. And look, if we do this, the simple change, I believe entrepreneurs would have clarity in the security space, which will help them expand things like capital formation opportunities, employment, and other, all kinds of new projects. And I know Ryan will be happy to know that the bill actually fits into the already existing Howey test framework, (laughs) but it simply provides more clarity. So you don't have the same problems that we're seeing right now. And just to illustrate this for the listeners, if something like this got passed by Congress, this would start to force the SEC and Gary Gensler to adhere by these rules. Basically, everyone in the industry is very frustrated with the SEC and the actions of Gary Gensler. And if we want to express that frustration, we can start to vote in laws and or elect representatives who will vote in laws for us that make Gary Gensler have to heal to those laws. And so if we think that Gary Gensler is overreaching, A solution for that is to write new laws that Gary Gensler has to follow. Is that right, Representative Emmer? That's exactly right. And I mean, David, I I think uh, what's interesting over the last couple of years with all the vitriol, I was talking about this to another member on the floor yesterday that, you know, you can very quickly become part of the swamp where the only thing you're hearing are the echoes of this chamber, right? You need to stay grounded on Main Street in the communities that you come from, Main Street across this country. And I do that. I mean, I'm proud of it. I think that's one of the things that people uh, say to me when they meet me is you're not who I thought you were going to be because you're not. It's like you don't really fit here. Well, okay, I take that as a compliment because I never want to fit here. Right. I always want to be where I'm from. But I'm a Republican. And I think this is what I was telling this member yesterday. I think more and more people out there really don't care anymore about whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. They're actually starting to pay attention to what is he or she talking about? What do they stand for? So it's funny in this space, too. You guys might get a kick out of this. I feel like I've run into more Democrats. If you were going to put a uh, they'd hate it, by the way. So I I will not name names because they're great people. But their background compared to mine is a more, it would be my grandfather's idea, you know, that the government is good, it's supposed to do good things, et cetera. They have a more Democrat, uh, historical Democrat outlook, but we work really well together because it's not about being a Democrat. It's not about being a Republican. It's actually about looking at opportunities that we all want. And I just happen to see it going beyond, you know, changing, fundamentally changing how we handle our financial business. I just think it's so much bigger than that. So yeah, pay attention to who's running for once. Look at it. Don't get frustrated like I told this uh, member yesterday. You know, you hear a lot of people right now that go, I have had it so much with this shit. I don't want to hear another word about it. Republicans, Democrats, all you morons ever do is argue with each other. I'm sick of it. But guess what? They do want to make a difference, as I was telling this member. They're telling you when they say that to you, I don't want to talk to you anymore because you're part of the problem. But that doesn't mean they're disengaging. I think just the opposite is happening. I think more people are engaging because they understand, you know, listening to guys like you and your whole community, when you tell them in August, look, guys, 
these, well, we'll call them Mr. Dumas, these uh, Mr. and Mrs. Dumas at the uh, Congress, they don't know what they're doing. You need to call them. You need to email them. You need to weigh in. You need to let them know this is important. And look, you make a significant difference. But again, I said this earlier to uh, Ryan, David, the community has just gotten started. Just gotten started. You are on the verge. There's going to, there'll be an election that takes place next fall. And people can say, yeah, I'm done with this. But understand, the people that hold these election certificates, they literally do affect your lives. And in this space, it can make such a difference if you start talking to candidates and incumbents and finding out where they stand on this issue. Because the more people that you put in here, to your point, David, that have an understanding of crypto, that are favorable to change, to evolution, to new opportunities on the horizon, you can literally start to rewrite the laws and get rid of some of these ridiculous regulations that Brian pointed out were created at a different time for different reasons. Rep Emmer, we've got just two more things to cover because the last thing we want to do is close this out with some action items, things that the bankless community can do to get involved in and do exactly what you're saying. But before we do, we've got to touch on this briefly. So China has been making moves on central bank digital currency for a while, and it's been no secret, right? 2014, they started down this path and then they got to beta. And now they're releasing at the Olympics. I know you've tweeted this out, a statement that I agree with. I've never seen a representative tweeted out this way, but you were talking about the costs and benefits of central bank digital currency at the Fed. And you said any CDBC implemented by the Fed, if that's even a good option, must be open, permissionless, and private. Of course, China's is not like that. And they are deploying it right now at the Winter Olympics. I tweeted this out recently, and I was just frustrated, Representative Emmer, at Congress's and the U.S. government's lack of action on this. I said, if you're mad about China, China's digital wand at the Olympics, why don't you support the free and open crypto industry in your country, in the U.S.? At least China's building something. All you do is talk. That is an expression not at you, because I know you are acting in Congress, but at the U.S. government as a whole. I'm not sure that the U.S. understands how high the stakes are. If we don't adopt a free and open and private and permissionless digital currency of some form, whether that's crypto or America's central bank digital currency, guess what? The world will adopt something from a more authoritarian regime and they're way ahead. So what do we do about this? And can you talk about that briefly? You just can't blindly trust anyone. Not that you shouldn't. Uh, I don't want people walking around with the idea that everyone is bad until they're proven to be good. I think human beings generally are good. They're well-intentioned, but you can't trust necessarily blindly everything someone tells you, and especially your government. You've always gotta be looking at what your government is putting out with a critical eye, and I think even more so today. And this is a nonpartisan statement because uh, I'm not gonna play any favorites. This is on both ends of the political spectrum and everything in between. I think we gotta be a little bit more critical in our thinking, critical in our research. And on this issue, I mean, Ryan, this is the issue. Uh, China's been practicing digital authoritarianism ever since this began. And I, you know, I'm really disappointed that with all of their human rights abuses, all the things that they're doing to their own population, uh, that we actually are supporting them in this Beijing Olympic thing. But 
you know, hats off to our young people that are, are competing. I would never want to deny them the opportunity to represent their country. So I'm not, I'm not being critical of them, but this idea that the Fed, and, and they're going to try to do it, Brian. So I will tell you right now, I don't see them actually creating a central bank digital currency that is literally open, permissionless, and private. They might hit one of those. It's open. <laughs> and I, I think maybe we should change, if our government's going to do this, I think we should change it from a central bank digital currency to a central bank digital control system. Because their idea is they want to keep all of the information. Well, the whole point of blockchain is decentralization. If you allow them to centralize all this stuff, you have just made them the all-powerful. This will date me, but I'm just going to tell you and your audience, if you've never read the book Road to Serfdom, that was written by an Austrian economist during World War II while he was, uh, I guess you could call exiled or living in uh, Great Britain. He was writing it to all of his intellectual elite buddies because they all thought that a central government, a powerful central government that allocates scarce resources, just think about it, housing, food, clothing, opportunity, if you will, that that is the best form of society because everyone has the same opportunity. And if I just boiled the whole book down to a couple of lines, what Hayek basically told his intellectual buddies is okay. I mean, uh, that's actually great if you have a central authority that decides how to divvy up scarce resources as opposed to allowing human beings through their own talent and initiative to do it, the invisible hand, if you will, that Adam Smith wrote about. Okay, he said, that's great, as long as you're the one that's making a decision on how to allocate those resources. If you're not in the group that makes the decisions, well, then you might not like the decisions. And by the way, if you object to the decisions that your central authority is making, uh, the first thing that will happen is they will start to restrict your liberties. The second thing that could happen is a lot worse. And uh, his, his conclusion was, it sounds great, but it never ends well. And literally, China has gone into the technological age of uh, uh, authoritarianism. And our central bank, our Fed, which I think needs complete reform, <laughs> our central bank should never, never hold all of our information. And right now, unless it can do that, open, permissionless, and private, the same qualities that cash offers you and me, hard cash, they should never be in this business. Because it's kind of like the Patriot Act, guys. They created the Patriot Act so that they could get a special court to give them permission to spy on foreigners. Bad enough, right? To spy on foreigners that they suspect of terrorism. And they said, this will never be used against American citizens. Oh, until it was, right? So don't trust your government when they tell you we can do this better. I mean, for God's sake, the thing that makes America special is guys like you, people in the community that you're a, a part of, that you're communicating with. You're the ones that make the difference. Government, quite frankly, does provide some benefits if it stays very limited in its focus and gets out of your way. Representative Emmer, I hope that all the listeners feel inspired and ready to take some action 
but we want to also tell them or inform them about the possible actions that they can take to actually move the needle in the right direction. So what advice do you have for us for how, how do we win in DC? Could you kind of give us the high level game plan? We have the 2022 midterms coming up, but there's going to be elections every two years. How do you see the roadmap to victory for the crypto industry? What advice for us do you have? Two high level things, because we could start to split hairs and get into much detail. But the two things I would tell you is if you are inclined, if you're inclined, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat or other, could just really could give a damn less. But if you're inclined, if this is important to you, find out who your representative is in Congress where you live. All right. By the way, don't stop with Congress. Find out who your state representative is. Find out who your state senator is. What you should be doing is, again, if you're so inclined, get involved in a campaign this summer. You know, get to know them. It's really funny how it works with members of Congress. They'll be walking in parades again this summer. You know, if you're in the crypto community and you want to get close to a member of Congress, you do it first by just showing up at a parade and volunteering. I mean, it may sound really stupid, but again, this is if you are so inclined uh, because they get to know you, you get to know them. Pretty soon you've got this connection. I've got some great kids that started with me, uh, well, 15 years ago when I was doing the state level. They've grown into this area and they know so much more about it than me, but I know them. And so now I trust them, right? The other thing that you can do, which I think is an even bigger one, David, which you started back in August, uh, is make your presence known. Show up in Washington, D.C. You know, it's not just the member that you want to get to know. You want to get to know the staff for that member. You want to get to know the staff on the Senate side. And by the way, I hope Lizzie and Landon and all these guys will forgive me, but they're your peers. These guys who are working for people like me, and I should say working with people like me, they're your peers. So the more that you can socialize, the more that you can open up the lines of communication on a friendly basis, doesn't matter again, whether it's a Democrat representative or a Republican one, it's going to help you in the long run. Because like I said, this political thing goes back and forth. I think we're going to see a change next fall for reasons unrelated to crypto. Well, it, it is actually related to crypto in that the monetary policy in this country has been so screwed for so long, probably since the early 70s. That's the whole reason there is crypto. So I guess crypto is uh, indirectly or directly involved in the upcoming election because of the ridiculous inflation that we didn't need to see and we created. But when the change happens, we're in the 116th Congress. The 117th, there, I, you guys may not know everyone yet, but we've been working on this for seven years and there is a growing number of members that I believe are going to be poised and ready to do things in the next Congress that if we can get this president to hopefully want some victories before his presidency is over, I hope that he uh, says, this is a legacy that I want to be part of. I want to help this grow and uh, keep America at the forefront of, you know, economic evolution and opportunity. So those two things, one, find a candidate or candidates, get involved with them. If that's what you're inclined to do too, just start start infiltrating. I know it sounds uh, like a dirty word, but that's what you're doing is get in, embed yourselves in these different government halls, whether it's here at the federal level or at your state level and start grabbing people who look like me, even though we'll be fewer and fewer as we go forward and go, 
hey man, do you have a virtual wallet? What do you have in your wallet? You know how many of them are going to look at you and go, huh? <laughs> you got to help. You got to help. Excellent advice, Representative Emmer. We appreciate the work that you are doing in Congress fighting for crypto, which is not really a fight for an industry. It's fighting for the American people. It's what David and I firmly believe. We appreciate all your efforts and thank you for spending the time talking to the bankless community today. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Keep it up. You inspire people like me. That's why we're here. And I don't know how long I'll do this, but as long as you guys have this kind of energy for an issue like this, I want to give it everything that I've got. So thank you for what you do. Well, please stay. We definitely need you. Action items, bankless listeners, we need you as well. Infiltrate. That was the word Representative Emmer used. Find out who your representatives are. <laughs> should have of I love it. Make your presence known. Get to know the staffers. You can also check out this website, pack.xyz, from one of our friends to see how your representatives score on how crypto friendly they are or how crypto toxic they are. Also, remain politically active in 2022. Vote, voice, capital. You hear that a lot on Bankless. We're, we're giving it to you today. Got to do that this year. Finally, we got a cool book recommendation from Representative Emmer today. We'll include a link to that in the show notes. The Road to Serfdom by Frederick Hayek. I haven't read it myself. Sounds pretty good. Don't forget the scandal of money. <laughs> the scandal we of money. We didn't talk too. about it today. Two book yeah. recommendations for you. Of course, guys, risks and disclaimers. None of this has been financial advice. It never is. It's not even political advice. Although we should get involved in politics as often as we can. ETH is risky. Bitcoin is risky. So is crypto. You could lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone. But we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.